This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today, we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, last night in Washington, Joe Biden, the American president, addressed the nation and he had to talk, I wanted to talk about the gun violence that America is witnessing in its most horrific manifestation in a place in Texas called Uvalde, a small town of 16,000 people. A gunman, well-prepared, went into a school and murdered 19 children and two teachers. It's a very shocking example of what can be done when guns are so easily available. Joe Biden asked the nation, and presumably all the politicians of the nation, both Democratic and Republican, to do something about the proliferation of guns and to bring in some basic reforms, such as background checks, when people seek to buy a gun. We're joined now from Washington by Niall Stanich, associate editor of The Hill, a very good Washington newspaper, and Niall is also White House columnist for The Hill. Niall, the, the president addressed the nation last night. What did he say that was new, or was it just the fact that he appears alarmed by so much of what he's witnessing under his presidency? I think it's more the latter, Eamon. There were some interesting things in the specifics of what President Biden sought. For example, he is pushing for an assault weapons ban, um, a, an effort that I have to say will almost certainly be in vain because Republicans are adamantly opposed to it. But Biden was certainly trying to make the moral case for gun control, um, a case that I think to Irish or European eyes seems quite plain, but of course um, runs into difficulties here. The president said it was unconscionable in his term for people to oppose even modest gun legislation like the expansion of background checks, and that he was uh, arguing that this was finally a time where some kind of action should happen. And of course, he has the experience of having been then President Obama's vice president after the um, horrific shooting in Connecticut at Sandy Hook, where 20 children and six adults were murdered. 
after which uh, Obama made a, a hard, strong push for gun reform, which failed. So there are significant odds that Biden faces in this effort. And it, it should be said, Niall, that Joe Biden, before he ever became vice president to Obama or president himself, is an insider in Washington for four or five decades mm. and a very influential, powerful senator. And throughout that period of time, I don't know what his record on gun control is, but certainly the the use of guns, the popularity of the National Rifle Association and its influence in Washington appears to have grown and grown to quite an alarming place. I think the gun, that's true of the gun lobby generally. The NRA had been a big force right up on, well, and still is, but it has encountered some difficulties to do with financial internal eruptions in the past couple of years. But I mean, back as recently as 2016, the NRA spent a total of around $30 million to aid Donald Trump's efforts to get elected. So it's very strong in that respect. The other element that I think is worth mentioning as far as the gun lobby is concerned, Eamon, is that they have been very successful at mobilizing voters, particularly in Republican primaries, yes. where any quote-unquote softness on the gun issue is perceived as a significant political liability, and part of the gun lobby's political muscle lies in exactly that dynamic. Now, a few days after the atrocity at Uvalde in Texas, where the two teachers and 19 children were victims, Donald Trump addressed the National Rifle Association's convention. Mm. He had no hesitation about doing that. And that really gives one a sense that even something as dreadful as that school shooting was no deterrent to former president of the United States and probably, possibly, the next president in 2024 going before the National Rifle Association Convention and assuring them of his support. That's right, and even mentioned during his remarks that he was not going to let them down in the way that others had by not showing up. There were some politicians in Texas who changed their plans either to give virtual remarks or to not appear at that convention. That was not the case with Trump. It was not the case with Ted Cruz, both of whom appeared. A testament, as you say, to the power and influence of the gun lobby in Republican politics in particular. And that seems, you know, largely undiminished. Those appearances are really part of a broader push that tends to happen in the wake of these frequent tragedies, where organizations like the NRA believe, I think, that the best tactic for them is to be unapologetic and say that, you know, legal gun owners or whatever have nothing to do with these tragedies. They don't want to ever appear uh, defensive or, or to be admitting culpability. And uh, appearances by the likes of Trump and Cruz underline that point. Now, in a recent, I mean, the polarization of American politics is so dramatic now, it's impossible not to think it through. And think about what it might mean. Mm. And it appears that there's two new books out, one in America, one is How Civil Wars Start, and Barbara Walter is the author of that. 
And there's another book called This Will Not Pass. In other words, the America of the insurrection of Trump and of this bitter polarization is not going to to change anytime soon, except that it may get worse. And and it, this is a populist movement being driven by American people because, as Voltaire once said, if you can make people believe in absurdities, you can convince them to commit atrocities. Mm. And it appears Donald Trump has convinced the majority of Republican voters that the election in 2020 was stolen from him. Now, that yeah. is an absurdity. It's just one of many absurdities, but that's it. Yes, it is. And it is, of course, in that instance, an absurdity that fundamentally hollows out and undercuts American democracy. I mean, in any democracy, if you have a very sizable share of the population who do not accept the legitimacy of elections, then you're in big trouble. And the opinion polls on that topic among Republicans, and I stress among Republicans, do show clear majorities believing that President Biden is not the legitimate president of the United States, that there was something underhand or sketchy about the 2020 election. That isn't true. There is no uh, significant evidence at all to support that. But it is something that has taken hold nonetheless uh, among Republican voters in particular. It is part, I think you and I have spoken about this before, of a general uh, trend or dynamic in which people live in different universes of information or misinformation or polarization. And the other side of the argument almost never penetrates, at least in the case of some of those bubbles. And that is a very, very serious problem for the United States, I think. Yes, and to the authors of This Will Not Pass, Mm. this new book, there are two New York Times reporters, Jonathan Martin and Alexander Burns. Joe Biden is quoted in the book telling his senior Democrat colleague, quote, I certainly hope my presidency works out. If it doesn't, I'm not sure we're going to have a country. Now, that was a private comment. So there's no hyperbole in the sense that he's trying to stir up the mob or even gain votes. He's actually expressing, and this is the most experienced working politician in the United States of America, the president, as we speak, voicing a doubt about whether there is going to be a United States of America if the trend we're seeing continues. That's right. And the question of whether it will be recognizable to the United States that, you know, you and I recall comparatively recently as a, you know, enormously powerful country that has, of course, its its strong political arguments, but basically coheres. I think that's really what Biden is getting at in that quote. Does it work as a country or does it cease to function? as a country. And that is a real question and a pointed question in a way that it hasn't really been in the almost 20 years that I've lived here. And there are real 
debates about whether it will function. I mean, even the the basic system of government, which of course extols things like checks and balances and so forth, is based upon the idea of parties and politicians working in good faith. Now, if that doesn't happen, if you simply have one party saying to the other, whatever, you're propo- whatever you propose, we're not voting for it, then the system seizes up, essentially. And if yes. the system seizes up, you can't deal with the problems that people experience in their day-to-day lives, then they lose faith in government, and then you're in a world of pain, as they say. Yes, and there is, I mean, do you recognize what Biden is expressing? Yes, I do. I, I think that he is expressing real concern as to whether the country could come apart in some fashion. Now, I don't think we're talking about uh, a civil war in the sense that the 19th century version was a civil war, an actual shooting war between two uh, armies. But I do think that there are really serious strains on the fabric of American society. And we do, of course, see uh, incidents of political violence. And depressingly, my expectation is that those instances will grow in frequency and severity, most likely. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course. And I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Now, in this age, in this year, America seems to have divided along the following lines. There are two parties, Republicans and Democrats. They're sorted out along racial and identity lines. Republicans are white, small-town, rural. The party now holds just one truly urban congressional district, that is New York's 
Staten Island. Democrats are now almost entirely urban, multi-ethnic, the habits of a normal democracy in which the losing party forms a loyalty to the opposition and supports the government, they're vanishing. I'm quoting there from one of the books that is predicting that there could be a civil war. Mm. And I think that those points that are raised there are valid points. It used to be the case even, uh, you know, in, say, the 1960s and 70s, where there was much more crossover and um, mixed-upness to the political parties. So you had, for example, in states like New York and, and elsewhere in the northeast of the United States, legitimately liberal Republicans. Uh, Jacob Javits was a senator from New York, for example. Other people uh, of that uh, ilk. Liberal Republicans are basically extinct as a species now. Yes. Um, similarly, in the South in particular, there were Democrats who were very socially conservative and sometimes uh, racist, um, honestly. Um, and those people have now gone by the wayside. They no longer form part of the Democratic Party, those who are socially conservative, setting aside the race question for a second, those who are socially conservative are now members of the Republican Party. That uh, delineation has also spread along geographical lines, like you mentioned in those quotes, the, the urban-rural divide, and also just in terms of the actual territory of the country. I mean, it is inconceivable now, for example, that a Republican nominee could win the state of California in a presidential yes. election, which I think I'm correct in saying Ronald Reagan did, so, you know, within yes. the past few decades. Um, and, you know, conversely, there are uh, many places in the South. Bill Clinton, when he ran, won the state of West Virginia. Uh, no Democrat uh, presidential nominee will win West Virginia anytime. So, I mean, it is represented by Joe Manchin, but he's yes. a pretty one-of-a-kind figure. So all of that uh, sorting has, I think, uh, deepened these lines of division, led to greater hostility between voters of each party, and has also led to those voters believing supporters of the other party are uh, the enemy rather than people who simply disagree with them. And of course, when that happens, then you're, you're into sort of political tribalism or political sectarianism, really. Yes, and what's fascinating about the book This Will Not Pass is the following story. And it's about January the 6th and the insurrection. And this is the day that Donald Trump tried to stage a coup. Mm. And when this appalling vista unfolded of people with flags, with guns, with broken to a sacred democratic place, the Capitol, and wrecked it and went looking to hang some of them, the Vice President uh, Mike Pence, with guns and firecrackers, handcuffs, chemicals, knives. Republican leaders that evening Breathe a sigh of relief. I'm quoting now from this book. The Capitol may have been littered with glass, its corridors smeared with fecal matter, but the Trumpian spell had been broken. And I'm quoting now. This, this is Mitch McConnell, 
this despicable human being had finally discredited himself, he said of Trump. The Republican leader in the House, Kevin McCarthy, said Trump's actions were atrocious and totally wrong. Three weeks later, McConnell voted to acquit Trump for what he had called a failed insurrection. And McCarthy went down to Mar-a-Lago to beg Trump to forgive him for being cheeky. That story is chilling, really. Oh, absolutely. But it also sums up a lot of the broader trends that have occurred and are still occurring within Republican politics. What you saw in that approximately three-week period was those Republican leaders realizing that a large number of Republican voters were still with Trump, despite his incitement of an attempted coup, despite his refusal to accept the election results, despite his propagation of conspiracy theories about that election, and while, as that passage that you read points out, the hallways of the Capitol were still littered with debris. Kevin McCarthy in particular, to an even greater extent than Mitch McConnell, sort of ended up... uh, been in a subservient position to uh, Trump in the sense of um, McCarthy making this sort of uh, terribly um, pathetic uh, path to Mar-a-Lago to make up with Trump, to to sort of pledge his loyalty or to show that it was all okay after all, despite that quote that you read where McCarthy had described those events of January the 6th and Trump's part in them as atrocious. Uh, really um, a terrible uh, abnegation of principle on that, in that phase and, and one that I think uh, we're still living with the effects of in many ways. So can we say definitively, when you reflect on what we've seen going back to, say, 2016, when Trump defeated Hillary Clinton and projecting forward from there, that we are seeing a polarization of opinion that really cannot be fixed and that that trend is only likely to accelerate post the Biden presidency. Yeah, I think we can. Certainly there, there is no sign of that trend decelerating and of course it is magnified not just by politicians, but by social media, where people are so often fed views or, or arguments that simply reflect their existing prejudices, and by the more traditional media, including cable news and talk radio, that leaves it very difficult to see how this trend could be reversed. The only uh, asterisk I would add to what you said, Eamon, is that I think that trend of polarization has been taking place probably for a couple of decades at this yes. at this point. I mean, that's not to deny at all Trump's role as an accelerant of it. Yes, but but things like talk radio uh, in the late early nineteen nineties, Fox News from the mid nineteen nineties, have played a role in the trend that we're talking about for sure. Yes, and Fox News have been out again, haven't they? Recently, this week, in fact, uh, on the gun issue, and really some of their stuff. It's hard to believe that Rupert Murdoch could be the sponsor of this, but some of it it really is 
you could hardly call it journalism, could you? I don't want to get you in the firing line now. Yeah, but I, it, I mean, it's they, they, I mean, it's basically you know giving a platform for as they tend to do to very um, conservative beliefs and and mocking beliefs that are not that, and that is sort of their um, modus operandi in many ways, you know. And the arrival now of hyperinflation really in in terms of what we've known in our well most of people's lifetime it's it's not hyperinflation but it is high inflation in america nine percent i believe and likely to go higher it's, it's, it's actually six it's six point three percent is the most recent figure um just right. six point six percent but um still very high by the standards of recent history i mean it had been you know, bumping along around 2% for, for many years. So there are real dangers from inflation. It's clearly the biggest political problem that Biden faces, in my view. Going into the midterm elections in November, it's the one that is feeding the most voter discontent. And uh, it's a it's a big problem. And of course, inflation is a very difficult problem to solve without inflicting further pain, because the main means of resolving it is for the Federal Reserve to hike up interest rates. And it's extraordinarily difficult to do that at just the right amount where you slow inflation without uh, sending the economy off the rails and into recession. Now, uh, just to turn to the most important and dramatic story in the world at the moment, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the manner of it, the savage manner of it, there is a Trumpian T-shirt out that says, I'd rather be a Russian than a Democrat. Mm. This week, Biden, in the last 24 hours, in fact, committed to sending more and more sophisticated weapons, artillery in particular, to Ukraine. How is the war being viewed in America, given the background we've been talking about for the last 25 minutes, mm. how does that impact on this critical confrontation between Vladimir Putin and the Ukrainian people? Broadly speaking, the American public has been in favor of there being significant aid to Ukraine, and they have, according to opinion polls, recognize the importance of stopping Russia in this invasion. Now, the American public does not support committing U.S. troops directly to that war, because obviously doing so would, you know, basically start a war, a direct yes. war between the United States and Russia. The interesting thing to watch, and I think in the weeks to come, is whether the American public's level of interest and engagement in yes. that conflict remains high. It has noticeably been displaced in the headlines over the past week or so by these horrific school shootings um, and, and other shootings. But the, um, the question really is whether the American public has the appetite for support for Ukraine through a prolonged conflict. As you know, your listeners know, it appears that Russia is making some advances in eastern Ukraine at this point, and that then presumably, at the very least, prolongs the war. And does the American public really have the stomach 
for this level of engagement yes. over a long period of time. And I don't think we really know the answer to that. And Biden, he has been staunch, I suppose, in his commitment to Zelensky, the President Zelensky and the Ukrainian people. Mm. And is there in that a commitment, is that bipartisan? For example, what would Mitch McConnell say? Or indeed, mm. I think we know what Donald Trump would say, and it's quite terrifying. Right. I, but there, I, there is a split, though, between those two things, in the sense that Mitch McConnell is supportive of strong backing for the Ukrainians. And in fact, to the extent that McConnell criticizes Biden, it is for not, you know, moving fast enough to deliver yes. various aid to Ukraine. Now, there is a Trumpian fringe that sees things pretty differently. And of course, in you know, right before the invasion or, or in the days after it, I can't quite remember, Trump was praising Putin for his savvy and things like that. Uh, yes. Trump himself has not been so vocal on the topic recently, but uh, Republicans in Congress who still are the most... Um, Trumpian, I suppose, do express misgivings about American support for Ukraine. And they, they do that um, along the same lines as Trump would, the idea that the United States should not be helping other countries uh, when it should be adopting an America first um, posture, whatever that might entail. A final question about the midterm elections that everyone in America appears to believe will be a debacle for Democrats, House and Senate. Do you subscribe to that, Niall? And if it is, what will be the consequences for the Biden presidency? I subscribe to it in relation to the House of Representatives, which I think the Democrats will almost certainly lose. The Senate is a more complicated picture, even though yes. it's split 50-50 right now. There are some places where Democrats could make gains to offset losses in other places. But to your larger question, even Republican control of the House of Representatives would clearly, uh, firstly, uh, politically cripple Biden for the final two years of his first term, and secondly, would almost certainly uh, fire the starting pistol on all manner of investigations, um, real or imagined, by what would then be a Republican majority in the House into the uh, White House and uh, the administration and, and things around that. So, to circle back to where we started in a way, even that uh, Republican victory in the House, which I think is almost certain, seems very likely to further deepen these kind of uh, polarizing trends and the idea of politics as combat that we have been talking about. Okay, now we're very grateful to you for joining us from Washington, Niall Stanich, Associate Editor of The Hill. And uh, we're very grateful to Niall every week. To all of you for listening, that's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. 
Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.